Once again, God's very words. Then David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. So David commanded together the aliens who were in the land of Israel and the appointed masons to cut hewn stones to build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails of the doors of the gates and for the joints, and bronze in abundance beyond measure, and cedar trees in abundance for the Sidonians and for those from Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, As for me, it was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name, because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon." For I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you, and may you prosper and build the house of the Lord your God as he has said to you. Only may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding and give you charge concerning Israel that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you take care to fulfill the statutes and judgments with the Lord, which the Lord charged Moses concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Indeed, I have taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold and 1 million talents of silver, and bronze and iron beyond measure, for it is so abundant. I have prepared timber and stone also that you may add to them. Moreover, there are workmen with you in abundance, woodsmen and stonecutters and all types of skillful men of every kind of work, of gold and silver and bronze and iron. There is no limit. Arise and begin working, and the Lord be with you. David also commanded all the leaders of Israel to help Solomon, his son, saying, Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not given you rest on every side? For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Therefore arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy articles of God into the house that is to be built for the name of the Lord. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the example of David, the king of Israel, who desired to build you a house that yielded to your will 
and gladly aided his son Solomon to do the work that Solomon was called to do. Father, help help us to understand this great lesson from Scripture, that we ought not to covet and envy the blessings to others that you bring, but rather aid them in using them for your glory and for the kingdom of God. And we ask this in the name of Christ, for his sake and for the advancement of his kingdom. Amen. Brethren, today we're returning to the life of King David, but not in 2 Samuel. We are diverting to 1 Chronicles 22, where we find David in his old age, nearing his death and making preparations for his son Solomon. Solomon would have several important achievements in his lifetime. He would pen two books in the Holy Scriptures, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, likely being his greatest two achievements and constructing the temple being his third great achievement. And I have chosen this text today because of the season of the year we are in. This time of year, we have many young people completing milestones in their lives and beginning new endeavors. Even yesterday evening, we enjoyed a gathering in in, uh, a commencement of Abby Patrick's of having finished high school and, and moving toward college. It's interesting that in this time of uh, graduation for our our young people that uh, they come under commencement speeches. Uh, You would think they would come under graduation speeches, wouldn't you? But actually, they're, they're starting anew. There's a new beginning. And so today, I've titled my sermon, New Beginnings and Covenantal Endeavors. New Beginnings and Covenantal Endeavors. And so I want to encourage us because we live in this season of new beginnings, but it's not just a a small season of time. New beginnings start for us all the time. The new beginnings of life vary uh, with others in our congregation. Some of our young people have recently been married, while others are preparing for marriage. Some are having their first children, while others are adding to their quivers. New homes are being purchased, while older homes are being transformed. New careers are being started by some, and new business ventures by others. And we'll be praying for some of these things during the prayer of the church. Most of these new beginnings are choices we are making, while some are being foisted upon us by God's providential circumstances. Nevertheless, these are new beginnings in life. And they should be constant reminders that God is a creative God and in some respects never stops creating. God is a creative God and never stops creating. As his covenant children, he has created us and never ceases the activity of recreating us into the image of his Son, our Lord and Savior. Now the Apostle Paul speaks to some of this in Romans First, in chapter 9, I'd like to draw our attention to verse 21, where he describes God's handiwork to that of a potter with a lump of clay. Similarly, in chapter 5 of that great uh, letter to the Romans, in the first five verses, we read these words. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace, in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, 
knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. God is recreating us as he is recreating all that is around us each and every day. God is always at work as he crafts time, circumstances, and his covenant people into the very story of history for his glory and for our good. Each day is a new beginning, and each Sabbath day the beginning of a new week. We are in the beginning of a new season of the year with spring coming to an end and summer beginning in earnest. The working out of God's decree presses on. Relentlessly, God does all his holy will, and he has chosen us to be part of that decree. We are actors on a stage, but not just any stage. Our stage is an eternal stage that has eternal consequences. This is one reason I've chosen this passage from 1 Chronicles 22. It describes events in the life of David, a man after God's own heart, whose one great desire was to build a temple for the God he worshipped and served. I think we could all understand that David's desire was a noble desire. David lived in a king's palace, but the Lord God dwelled in a tent made of curtains. David saw the inconsistency because he was a humble man. He recognized God had elevated him to a place of honor when he was a mere sheep herder. Because of his calling as a boy, David learned to protect and defend the sheep under his care. He was faithful to do that by killing both a lion and a bear, and we find that in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 34. God later made David king over Israel, and he would lead the covenant people of God in safety against the enemies of God. And so David desired to honor the God who had honored him. The irony of David's faithful service to God was that his faithful service was the very thing that God declared disqualified him to build the temple. His faithful service was the very thing that disqualified him to be the builder of the temple. Consider the words of our text in verses 5 through 10. Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious throughout all nations. I will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, hear these words. My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name, because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon, for I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, 
and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. I want us to learn three important lessons from our passage today. The first lesson I've touched on already. That is the lesson that God is sovereign over all the affairs of men and reveals his holy will to us that we might live in righteousness and faithful obedience. He is sovereign and reveals his holy will to us that we might live in righteousness and faithful obedience. The second lesson is that we as God's covenant people should enthusiastically pursue the new beginnings of God's eternal decree right through our final days of life. We should pursue God's eternal decree, including these new beginnings, enthusiastically right to the last days of our lives. It it brings to mind Caleb in the Old Testament. Here he was, an old man. They're entering into uh, uh, the promised land. Uh, he, He reminds Joshua, I've been promised a piece of the promised land. He gets first choice. And what does he do? He picks the land of the giants, the Anakim. That's the land I want. I want to take the hardest piece of land in all Israel, being 100 plus years old. Was it 120? I forget the number. Here he was, an old man, and he wants the hardest thing to conquer in all of the promised land. Now, he's a wise man, Caleb was. He offered his daughter to the hand of the man who would go in there with him to take it. Anybody know his name? Othniel, the first judge in the book of Judges. But here's an old man who, to his last day, enthusiastically pursued the will of God. To his very last day. I hope all of us aspire to be like Caleb. The second lesson that I want us to learn is that as God's covenant people, or excuse me, the third lesson that I would like us to learn is that we should not covet or envy God's working out his eternal decree in others, but aid them in bringing glory to God and our King Jesus. We should never envy or covet God's blessings upon others. And I'll get to that in a few minutes. But let's begin with God's sovereignty over the affairs of men. Now we all know that it's said of David that he was a man after God's own heart. This was Paul's statement in Paul's very first sermon following his conversion, recorded in Acts chapter 13. And Paul was quoting from 1 Samuel 13. David was a man after God's own heart. As I mentioned earlier, the irony of David being prohibited from building a temple for God is stunning. It is a stunning event. Yet in God's sovereign will, David was prohibited from building the temple, not because he was unfaithful. On the contrary, it was precisely because he was faithful that he was disqualified. Well, what do I mean? God raised up David to be a warrior a champion to subdue the enemies of God. And he was good at what he did. He was wise and cunning in the ways of godly warfare. That was what he was called to do. Yes, it is true that David wanted to honor God in the building of the temple, but it was not David's calling. 
David's calling was to lead the flock of God in safety by defeating their enemies. That he did with great success. In God's design, the mentality to make war was not the mentality needed to construct a temple of peace. That's why he was disqualified. In God's sovereign design, to build a temple of peace would have to be done by a man of peace, Solomon, whose very name means man of peace. It comes from the Hebrew word shalom. He was named after peace itself. Now consider the maturity of David. In the midst of this circumstance, consider his maturity. When his heart's desire is to do something magnificent for God, he is thwarted by the God he serves. Does David throw a tantrum or complain? Does he whine that he can't have his way? No doubt he desired the construction of the temple very much. Does he disobey God and seek his own desires? No. David acts with the utmost maturity and faithfulness. He accepts the will of God and then enthusiastically pursues God's will. His motives in wanting to build for God a temple were well placed, but his desire to obey God was even greater. It's not for you to do, David, God said. It's for your son to do. And David willingly accepted that from his Lord. And this brings us to our second lesson. Enthusiasm for God's new beginnings. When God revealed to David that he would not build the temple, but his son would build the temple, David was enthusiastic for the promises of God. Hear his words from 2 Samuel 7. Now this is where God makes his covenant with David through the prophet Nathan. And I'm going to read this portion of scripture. It's a little bit lengthy, but it's important to our understanding of this lesson. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house and the Lord had given him uh, rest from all the enemies all around. Notice that the Lord had given him rest from all the enemies that were around. That the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in the tent of curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelled in a house since the time I brought forth the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus shall you say to to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from the following of sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, 
that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever, according to all these words and according to all the visions. So Nathan spoke to David. (coughs) David desires this great thing, but God comes to him and says, Wait a minute. I have never had a house to live in since the time I delivered Israel from out of the land of Egypt. In fact, I have traveled with them in a tent, in a tabernacle, that I may be with them wherever they went, even in the midst of judgment. Remember, for 40 years they were being judged. A whole generation died in the wilderness that a new beginning might start with the next generation of faithful believers. And God traveled with them in a tent. Was he angered by that? No, it pleased him. But now he's giving them a place of rest. They don't have to travel anymore. It's time to subdue a place. And David, you're not the man to build the house. But your son is the prince of what? Of peace. Solomon. He will build the house. And it's not just a house made with man's hands. It's not made just of gold and silver, of cedar wood, of stone, of all of those things. By the way, Solomon's temple, when you walked into it, you were struck by what was there. The walls were covered in gold. No place was it seen that there was no gold. The whole place was gold. That 100,000 talents that that David speaks of in our passage, lined the inside of the temple. It was the highest and greatest gift that they could show toward the God who had created them and sustained them. You will live in a palace of gold. At a time when David wants to build an earthen structure for God, God promises David a house for David and for David's name that shall never end by and through his son Solomon. When God reveals his will to us, we see the bigger picture, and David saw the bigger picture. He wanted to build the house. God wanted to build a dynasty in the name of David. We see that God is working out all his holy will and that his His will is glorious for all those who follow him, not just to us individually, but for the whole kingdom in eternity. Brethren, God is not stingy. 
He shares his glory with his children when they walk in obedience to him. David is enthusiastic for the newness of God's plan over the desire of his own heart. He sees this generationally. He understands this in eternity. For David, he realized it wasn't, as, it wasn't that important who got the glory for building the temple. God made it clear he was not in need of an earthly dwelling place. Yet God's expansion of David's understanding by promising, promising him an eternal house in David's name was far greater than the temple being built by David. God did not destroy David's desire to honor God with a temple. He didn't say, no, there'll be no temple. On the contrary, he said there will be a temple. But God put it in proper perspective. He emphasized to David the long-term covenantal perspective of the temple being built. If you're going to build a temple for God to dwell in, you must take great care and time. Time should not be an issue. It doesn't have to happen in your lifetime, David. It can happen in the lifetime of your son, the Prince of Peace. By the way, those allusions that I'm making there are intentional intentional. God builds a house that we are part of through the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Brethren, God transcends time, and we as his children, we must embrace that idea when we think of the works of our hands. Will our, the works of our hands transcend time? If we are to conform to the image of our Lord and Savior, who purchased an eternal salvation for us, by his faithful obedience to the Father, we as joint heirs with Christ must think of our works in a similar way. They have to transcend time in some aspect. We must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the Bible teaches us. Our works must be eternally oriented for the glory of God and the good of others. And I'm not talking just about what we might make with our hands, that should, should declare the glory of God too. But what I am saying should include this generational notion about how we rear our children. Are we going to rear them with an eternal perspective? Or are we going to give them an example that's earthly perspective, of an earthly perspective? Young people, your parents are going to fail in many ways. But God still teaches you through his word to have an eternal perspective on all that you do. And you can bring glory to God just as David did and Solomon did in your callings. And for those who are just graduated either from college or, or high school or, or starting new vocations or, or a new beginning in some other way, what? What, earth, what is it an, of an earthly perspective or an eternal perspective? Now, you can, you can purchase a house with an eternal perspective. Say, Pastor Hickey, how do you do that? Come to my Sunday school class on economics. We'll learn how to do that. Just, just suffice it to say, what is the use of your home? What, the very thing that you live in, what are you going to use it for? Is it going to have an eternal perspective in it? or just an earthly, earthly perspective. 
Same with your vocations. Same with your, your, uh, the friends that you choose and, and spend time with. Your entertainments. Do they have a, an eternal perspective and an earthly perspective? David looks at the circumstances of the promise of God to have Solomon build the temple and concludes the following in verse 5. Read with me. Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. He wasn't going to build it. David wasn't going to build it. And he had no idea the wisdom that God would give his son Solomon. So in David's mind, he would provide for Solomon as much help as he could in an earthly way to provide and trust God for the increase in the eternal construction of the temple. Now we know that that temple was destroyed by God's decree. But it was God's dwelling place for the people of Israel in the Old Covenant, until its destruction. David could not build the temple, but he could provide Solomon the means to build the temple and to do it well. Craftsmen of every sort, materials of all kinds and materials in abundance, were collected for Solomon, all for one purpose, to build a temple for God. From verse 14, we can envision David taking the young Solomon into the treasury and showing him the 100,000 shekels of gold or talents of gold and the 1 million talents of silver collected for the temple. They were stored, no doubt, in a bank somewhere in Jerusalem. And David would have ushered his young son into that place and said, look, I've collected these things. Use them for the temple. Similarly, David likely took Solomon to the storehouses where the lumber and stone were located, these great cedar trees that would build the temple, the cedars likely of Lebanon. We, we, the text talks about craftsmen come from, coming from Sidon and Tyre, coastal cities where craftsmen were necessary for building ships. Well, they would be employed to build the temple as well. David was enthusiastic for the work and calling God had placed on his son Solomon, the Prince of Peace. The son of David, whose name meant man of peace, was the prince in Israel. He was the right person to build the house for God, and David was enthusiastic for that new beginning. Dads, it's not about you. It's about God's glory and the good of his people. Do you approach your children that way? It's about God and his glory and the good of others. Do we rear our children to that end? And this brings us to our last lesson. As I have grown older, I've learned a valuable lesson that David exhibits in this passage. That lesson is that I should never covet or envy the blessing God is giving to others. I should never covet or envy the blessing God is giving to others. Rather, 
I should rejoice in God's bountiful graces to others and encourage them in those blessings. David would not live to see the many successes of Solomon. Solomon would become the wisest man on earth and the wealthiest man on earth. The kings of the surrounding nations would pay homage to him so one could say he became the most famous man on earth. This was his son. David would not live to see these successes. But when God told David that he would not build the temple, David humbly accepted that decree and worked to promote the will of God. He did not envy his son or covet his son's calling. David did not, work, did not walk in the ways of his predecessor Saul, but in the covenant faithfulness exhibited by his forefathers, Noah, Abraham, and Moses. Remember Saul's envy of David? David was being blessed by God in Israel. Saul had defeated his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Saul envied that. He had no reason to. God had given him victory over thousands. Why not be content with what God had given him? And yet Saul was not. And and Saul's house ended with his own life. It was David's house that would remain forever. David did not walk in the ways of his predecessor Saul, but in the covenant faithfulness exhibited by his forefathers Noah, Abraham, and Moses. Those men each had a purpose in God's sovereign plan, and they faithfully, obediently embraced those purposes. Interestingly, neither Abraham nor Moses would enjoy the land promised to the covenant people of God. Abraham would be buried there. Moses would see it from afar. David, he was called to subdue it, and he did it. But he wasn't called to build the temple. For God would make that the calling of another man, his son. More importantly, David would not covet or envy the one who God promised the blessing of building the temple. It, from the text, it doesn't even appear that he even thought those thoughts. He would rather see the work of the kingdom advanced by God's decree than by his own desires. Oh, that our desires would conform to the will of God in that regard. Augustine famously said, love God and do as you please. It almost seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Love God and do as you please. Well, if you love God, you will do what he pleases. That was the whole lesson of Augustine. David would not covet nor envy the the one who God promised the blessing of building a temple. No, he would give as much aid and humbly give to that person all he could in the midst of that blessing. He rejoiced with the one receiving the blessing. He aided the one receiving the blessing. And this is the example of righteousness that we should follow. When we see God blessing someone else, Don't covet or envy. Bring aid to them. 
and we'll see that specifically in the application now. There are numerous applications, some of which I've already made. But I want us to notice what's in verses 11 through 16. David speaks a charge to Solomon that is, that is meshed with a prayer. The two things are together here, the charge and the prayer, beginning in verse 11. Now, my son, David speaking to Solomon, may the Lord be with you, and may you prosper and build the house of the Lord your God as he has said to you. That's a prayer. May the Lord be with you. It's a blessing. You're going to hear the benediction in a few minutes. David is giving that to his son Solomon in the form of a prayer there. Verse 12, Only may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding and give you charge concerning Israel that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Did he give, was that prayer answered, the wisdom of Solomon? Certainly it was. Now we do know, as we saw from 2 Samuel 7, that Solomon would stray, but God's mercy would never be withdrawn from Solomon by virtue of God's promise. That you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you take care to fulfill the statutes and judgments which the Lord charged Moses concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Young people with new beginnings, hear these words. Be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid. Attempt great things for God, one missionary said. And you will do good, great things for God. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear. Arise and begin working, and the Lord be with you. A righteous and spiritual man looks upon all of life from the perspective of God's eternal decree and God's enabling. A righteous and spiritual man reminds the next generation of these same truths. God has an eternal decree, and he will enable you to complete it. We who name the name of the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, have been chosen by God for salvation and are being enabled by God to do all his holy will, in aiding the the advancement of his kingdom. Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Brethren, each new calling on the lives of our brethren and covenant children, we should enthusiastically aid for the glory of God and the good of the body of Jesus Christ. We should pray with and for the people of God and our children, as David did even here. And we should encourage one another to love and good works, proclaiming loudly the charge David gave to his son in this last verse that I I read. Arise and begin working, and the Lord be with you. Let's pray.